أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وبعد. So today is our first uh, fit class in ICC uh, here in Cleveland. Um, the purpose of this class is what is that the Sharia is not haphazardly put together. It's systematized. Its rulings were debated and refined by the ulama. Uh, and they definitely are transmitted through the madahib, but the madahib are not, it, they're not a personal taqlid, uh, uh, like a personal imitation of the person of the, the, that founded the madahib, or whose name is attached to the madahib. Rather, um, the, the people who the madahib are named after, attributed to, are just people who systematized and gathered certain rulings and, and certain principles by which uh, rulings are derived. Um, uh, there's no madhab that makes uh, uh, that makes taqlid or follows the sunnah of its founder. All of them follow the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and uh, the differences of opinions that they have between them are about those matters that are not clearly delineated by the sunnah. Uh, uh, and so, it's important to know what those debates are, what those discussions are, because it allows you to know which things are firm and immutable in the deen. And there are a few things like that, in which things there are differences of opinion. And what the scope of the difference of opinion is. Because sometimes we'll say, well, let's not fight over small things. It's a difference of opinion. But even those differences, there's a scope to them. So if the Sahaba have two or three opinions amongst them, that means that the fourth and the fifth one are, are not up for debate. Uh, even though there is some some tarahi, some some leeway within those two or three opinions. So uh, uh, this book is one of the oldest books written in the, uh, in the history of Islam uh, in fiqh. It's part of the Mukhtasar genre. Mukhtasar means what? It means a, a summary of the entire Sharia without mentioning every single ruling. There are certain masail that are like the hard data points, certain fiqh issues that are the hard data points of the Sharia around which the other ones are mapped. If you understand them, it will allow you to understand the more detailed issues. And uh, uh, um, thereafter, uh, uh, you know, a person, once they're oriented within the Sharia properly, they can understand the context in which uh, certain other more minute issues are, are, are dealt with. Are dealt with so the the general uh, syllabus in every topic, whether it's fiqh or whether it's aqidah or whether it's hadith or tafsir or whatever, is that a person takes an introduction to the to the subject first by talking about the the major topics that are discussed, then by introducing an increasing amount of detail. Uh, and uh, information with regards to fleshing out those topics. Um, then after that, uh, a person is introduced to the idea of Dalil. You're welcome to join the class if you like. Please just to grab a chair and sit where, where it makes you comfortable, inshallah. It's open, it's open to everybody, inshallah. That's why we have it in this room. So uh, uh, so the, the first, yeah. So, so if you brothers don't mind sitting on this side, inshallah. The sisters, if you like, you can, you can sit, sit wherever you like, inshallah. So to continue... Uh, uh, what happens is the introductory books, they, they talk about what the most important issues are in that topic. Then after that, they increase in the amount of complexity and detail in explaining the topics. Um, uh, and then after, after that orientation is there telling you the what of the, the topic, then the added layer on top is what's the dalil, why? So, uh, uh, the, you know, like where in the Quran does it say this? Where in the Hadith does it say this? Which issue is proven by, by text? Which issue is proven by rationality, logic, uh, or a, a particular interpretation of the Arabic language? So the why is then put on top of understanding what. This is important because unlike... Uh, like being like an aerospace engineer who's like designing planes and things like that. Um, in, in, in 
those types of sciences, material sciences, the why is probably more important than the what. It's more important to learn how to think than to uh, learn what to think. The issue with wahi, with the uloom, the, the, the branches of learning that are based on wahi is what? Is that wahi has a... a, 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 a it has a, a, an attribute of it which is uh, summarized by the first revelation that the Rasul ﷺ received, which is Allam al insana malam ya'lam, that the point of the wahi of the revelation is to teach mankind that which he knew not. So there is a certain amount of religion which is through ittiba'ah. You see the Prophet ﷺ do it and you do it because he, the angel Jibreel was sent to show him how to do that. And Allah Ta'ala showed him in wahi in a dream or in some other vision how to do a certain thing. And so the Prophet ﷺ is following what the wahi teaches him. Uh, or in the case of the salat very particularly and in general the other rites of the deen, he's following what he was shown by the angels. Because all of these uh, different, like the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, SubhanAllah, Alhamdulillah, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, La hawla wa la quwata illa billah, the salat, the, uh, uh, the hajj, the, uh, uh, you know, a number of the different modes of, 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 uh, of worship, they're essentially human beings doing those things that the angels used to do. Uh, and the, 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 the salat was taught to human beings by the angels. Um, the uh, fast itself is like an imitation of the angels as well, and uh, uh, amongst other things. And so uh, these things are taken by tiba'ah. So you, first it's important to understand what, and once the what is correct, then the why will give you benefit. But the idea is you're not going to be like a, like a um, freestyler. Uh, in these things, because if you're yourself freestyling how to do the salat and whatever, they're based on things that are in the unseen realm, you'll just end up messing them up. And so uh, uh, that's why the, the, the mode is reversed, is that you learn the what first, because that comes uh, through naql. It's just transmitted from one person to the other, and from the Prophet to the ummah, and from the angels, and from the wahi to the Prophet wasallam. Uh, we receive those things through naqal, and then after understanding the what, then the why has a, a, a beneficial meaning to it. But you don't want to, you know, it's, you don't want to mess up the order, right? You stir the batter before putting the cake in the oven. If you put the cake in the oven first, and then you stir the stir it after, it's just going to mess everything up. Uh, uh, and so that's what that is. This book is, again, one of the early books written in the history of the ummah on the topic of fiqh, uh, uh, and it's called the Risala uh, of Ibn Abi Zaid. Ibn Abi Zaid was mulaqab bi Malik al-Saghir. He was in Qairawan in the modern, uh, uh, modern uh, country of Tunisia. Uh, Qairawan is a city like Kufa that was uh, founded originally by the companions uh, during the Futuhat of uh, North Africa. Part of the army that conquered North Africa included Sayyidina al-Hasan, anhu, the, the grandson of the Prophet And so uh, Qairawan is an early center of learning in the, in the Ummah. Uh, and uh, the first university, uh, the first university that was established in the whole world, uh, it was established at the hands of the Ummah in in Qairawan, and uh, in, in what then becomes Tunis afterward, I should say, um, and is a Jamia Zaytuna. Not the Zaytuna that's in California, but it's the one that the Zaytuna in California is named after. The Jamia Zaytuna, a great number of uh, great ulama and mashaykh went through there, including Ibn Khaldun and a number of other people, individuals. And uh, because it was shut down by the secularists, um, it no longer holds the title of the oldest university. It was before, it was made before the Qarawin and Al-Azhar, uh, which both of which were made long before any of the uh, universities of Europe. 
Um, if the secularists had not shut it down for, because it teaches deen, uh, we would have still had this honor. Uh, inshallah, they open it up again uh, one day. Uh, but uh, a, great, a number of great ulama, they came from that, from that place. And afterward, the torch passes to the Qarawiyin in, in, uh, um, in, in Fas. Uh, uh, because it's continuously open, it was never shut down. But at any rate, uh, uh, Ibn Abi Zaid is a great muhaddith and a great faqih. And for that reason, one of the fadail and virtues of this book is that that uh, uh, I would say at least 40-50% of the text is directly verbatim the, the text of either a, an ayah of the Qur'an or hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And uh, lest a person think that this is my chance to slam everybody with Maliki propaganda, the reason we're reading the book is because of its very elegant and uh, uh, simple way of laying out the issues of the Sharia. When there's a point of difference of opinion, we'll, we'll explain all of those things, inshallah. So this is an occasion for all of us to learn something rather than uh, an occasion for one person to compel another to follow, uh, follow them in matters that, that there's really no compulsion in. So we start today with the Babun fi Oqatis Salati wa Asma'iha. There's a chapter with regards to the, the timings of the prayers and the names of the prayers. Uh, now we live in a time in which all people know about this, the prayers is what the app tells them, the prayer times. Uh, and the prayer times have associated with them certain, certain things. There are certain things that happen in the unseen world that are connected with uh, uh, astronomical and ge uh, ge geological phenomena. Um, and it's important to understand what time is what and what the virtue of what time is. And uh, uh, there are a number of words used for time in the Qur'an. Uh, and uh, uh, like Asr, this is the name of the prayer is one of them. Uh, uh, and there's a number of words used like adhar. These all they're all words for time, but they have a slightly different connotation. One of the effects on the heart of a person when they start to observe the prayer is what is they now become properly cognizant of the passage of time. It in and of itself just being aware of the prayer times. What time is is it now? How much time is it to the next uh, salat, etc. This is one of the one of the forms of the dhikr of Allah Taala. This itself is a muraqaba. It's a type of meditation. Um, and when a person has it inside, the benefit it confers on them is it doesn't allow them to waste their time. And so that, that happens oftentimes that uh, the people who are unaware, unaware of, of these things and are heedless of the times of the prayer, um, years will go by in their, in their life and they won't know what happened. And then all of a sudden what happens when a person starts to pray five times a day, whether it's a non-Muslim who embraces Islam or a, a non-practicing Muslim who starts to practice, all of a sudden a certain kafiya, a certain condition comes over their heart in which they freak out and say, oh my God, I wasted my life and I this and that. And you, know, you have to calm those people down and tell them, okay, but now you're not wasting it anymore. And so uh, you know, that's one beautiful thing. You can't sleep for 10 hours and 12 hours straight anymore after becoming a believer. You, know? you can't, even if you waste your time, even if you sit on your phone, Facebook and Twitter and all these things, they blow so much time. Sometimes uh, you know, uh, a person shouldn't admit their faults in front of other people, but maybe a person will sit down and then they'll look at the time once and they'll look again and like an hour is gone and you've done officially nothing. The, the awareness of the prayer times, it puts a limit to how much that can happen. Uh, uh, and there's a number of there's a number of other benefits we'll, we'll, we'll continue with inshallah as we go through the chapter. Uh, so, "Amma salat al-subhi fahiya salat al-wusta inda ahl al-madinati wa hiya salat al-fajri." So the first issue he mentions is the first prayer of the day, uh, the official name of which uh, is the salat al-subh. Inshallah, maybe one day we can grab a, a, a whiteboard. Is there is there? I see there's like a whiteboard behind the sisters, but like I don't know if there's markers or anything. But I'll ask Pai Basil for. For some for some supplies regarding that later on, but 
the, the official name for what we refer to as Fajr, the official name with the Fuqaha and with the, 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 the even the Quran itself is what is that, that the name of that prayer is, is the Subh. It's the morning prayer. The word Fajr means the crack of dawn. And so the Subh prayer, the beginning of it is the phenomenon known as Fajr. What is Fajr? Fajr is the crack of dawn. So what ends up happening is that the uh, uh, nighttime, pitch black, uh, um, when the sun comes a certain number of degrees under the horizon, what will end up happening is the person will see a vertical beam of light in the direct, the direct uh, 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 direction of east. And it will be vertical and what will happen is it will start to expand and then it will come and start to cover the horizons from all sides, expanding from both sides on the east until it uh, surrounds the west. The first, the first crack of, uh, uh, of, of that light that comes up is called Fajr. Fajr means to flow. It also like, like means to explode. So like, for example, in Arabic, like if a bomb uh, blows up, it's called infijar, something blew up. Uh, uh, obviously, mashallah, it's, we're all bearded people and hijab people, so we should be, don't say it too loud. But we're talking about the dawn, crack of dawn right now. That's what Fajr means, that the thing just breaks open and it starts to flow out. Um, and so that's the beginning of the subh prayer, is what? Is Fajr, the, the crack of dawn. And then the end of the subh prayer is when the top of the disk of the sun hits the horizon. So if you look in the east, the sun will obviously rise from the east. And so the disk of the sun, when the top of it hits the horizon, that's the end of the, that's the, end of the uh, subh prayer time. Obviously, if you go and like, try to argue with your relatives and things like that about this, most of them probably won't understand, nor will they care, and they'll tell you to stop attending weird uh, classes at the masjid. But for the people of knowledge, this is a type of understanding that we should preserve. And so uh, the first thing I wanted to mention is what? The first part of it is the crack of dawn. Okay, so that's, that's, that's what he's saying. He's, the first thing he mentions is that the, from the crack of dawn, that dawn which spreads. So there's something called the false dawn. They call it Subh al-Kathib. One of the names of Fajr, the crack of dawn, is Subh al-Sadiq, meaning the true dawn. The false dawn is something that happens at certain latitudes. Uh, they call it the, the zodiacal light. Uh, and what it is, is basically uh, the light reflects in a certain way when the sun is a certain uh, number of degrees under the horizon, that there are certain particles that are there inside the atmosphere at a certain light and they start to glisten. And so what will happen is that you'll see that happen in the east, but the difference between the false dawn and the true dawn is what? Is that the false dawn will glisten and then it will disappear. It'll come like a, like a, like a, they say like a, Dhanab uh, sarhan uh, like the tail of a fox. It's like a little bit wider than the first crack of true dawn. It glistens for a while and then it disappears. It doesn't expand. Whereas the true dawn of Subh Sadiq appears as a column of light in the east and then it will start to expand. 
Uh, and so at some latitudes, you'll see this false dawn and it usually is like half an hour or so, give or take 10, 15 minutes. It's usually about half an hour or so before the false dawn, the, before the true dawn. And this false dawn, subh al-kathib, has no shari'i hukum, no ruling of the shari'a as connected to it. Neither, neither does the fajr start, nor does anything start or end according to it. So if you see the dawn break and then it disappears, then it kind of is what it is. Now, this is an issue, again, we're right now in the class. This is not the Jummah Khutbah. This is not a family party. I'm not giving a talk at a wedding right now. This is not the Eid Khutbah. This is within the class between the students of knowledge. A person should then ask themselves the apps that they use. How do they define Fajr? How do they define Fajr, the crack of dawn? Um, and this is uh, really theoretically speaking because the, the deen is is such that the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi is described as a Nabi Al-Ummi. نَحْنُ أُمَّةٌ أُمِّيَةٌ لَا نَقْرَأُ وَلَا نَحْسِبُ أو كَمَا قَالَ عَلَيْهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ حديث of Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that we're this Ummah is Ummatun Ummiyah. We are, we are uh, an unlettered people, an unlettered people. And that's not literally what the word ummi means. If you look at the word ummi, like what is if someone from Pakistan is Pakistani, someone from Iraq is Iraqi. So what is ummi? Ummi is someone who has a mother, and everybody has a mother. Only Sayyidina Adam doesn't have, Sayyidina Isa alayhi doesn't have a father, he at least has a mother. So ummi means like lowest common denominator. Just a common, it's a we're ummah of just common folks. We're not fancy pants people, we're not engineers and doctors. I mean, some of us are, but the point is, is in order to be a member of the ummah, you don't have to be any of that fancy stuff. And so the, the idea, there's a concept amongst the Usuli scholars who themselves are relatively sophisticated people that all the basics of the religion have to be understandable, understandable by someone being Ummi. The Rasul Sallallahu himself was a very intelligent person, but there's a hikmah in Allah Ta'ala making him Ummi. Hafiz ibn Abdul Bar actually writes that it wasn't that he couldn't read, but he was commanded not to. Why? Because if he read something, then... The vast majority of, for example, Pakistan, like they say 40-50% of the, the population isn't literate according to the UN standard. The UN standard is can you write your own name and can you read large signs? It's not like a person is like doing a book report on Shakespeare or something like that, you know? Um, and so even by that standard, large swaths of the ummah are, are still uh, unlettered. The idea is that the uh, lettered person cannot follow the sunnah of, uh, uh, unlettered person cannot follow the sunnah of a lettered person, but a lettered person can follow the sunnah of an unlettered person. Just like, for example, if the Nabi was a wealthy man, so many sunnah of his would be connected with like zakat and sadaqah and this and that. Uh, whereas the, 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 the fuqara then, you know, they would be unable to follow that part of the sunnah. So this is one usuli uh, hikmah in the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi being ummi, is that he wasn't allowed to read and write uh, um, even if he would have been able to. Why? Because it would have caused a person to have a shak that I cannot follow this person's sunnah. So how, that, how, how that's relevant to the, the prayer times and all of these things is that before the app, before any of these things, the prayer times are, are, are uh, understood through what? Through observation. So if you have an app, so your app says one thing, your app says another, and your app says a third, the, the way you'll settle the dispute is what? Ultimately, the way the dispute will be settled is let's go to a place with no light pollution on a clear day and just see when does, the, when does the dawn break. I've done this before, and I have my conclusions as well. All of the, all of the, the uh, 
authorities, different scholarly authorities in the Muslim world, in the Indian subcontinent, in Egypt, in uh, Turkey, in uh, North Africa, in the Arabian Peninsula, all of them, they say that the true dawn happens when the sun is somewhere between 18 and 19 and a half degrees below the horizon. And the difference between them is like three minutes or so. For whatever reason in America, uh, um, there is something called the Isna calculation method, which says that the true dawn happens when the sun rises to 15 degrees, so three degrees higher, four and a half degrees higher than that, uh, 15 degrees below the horizon. I've contacted Isna before because the person, once they read about these things, they then all of a sudden have interest. So I've contacted Isna. I just asked them, why is that you've done something that nobody in the Muslim world has observed before, nor are they in tune with? And they say, well, we have no official... Uh, official position of when Fajr comes in, when the when the crack of dawn is, and I said, well, why why do all the, I asked uh, the, someone from the Fiqh Council of Isna, I said, why is it that you guys and everyone calls this the Isna method? They say we have no idea. The app developers they just named it that, and we really don't know. So there you have it. Uh, but uh, uh, I encourage people, and I'm going to do this, inshallah. I'm going to do this as well. One of these days, I'm going to take uh, Sheikh Musa and I have spoken about it. We'll take some brothers out. Sisters, you're welcome to have your own observation party as well. Go out to the county. Go out of the city where the light pollution is a little bit less. Make sure it's not an overcast night. And just you know, just write down when is it that you're first able to see the light in the, uh, in the east, uh, preferably on a night, uh, on a night with, without the moon out. Because when the moon is out, there's so much light outside. And before I went to Mauritania, I was unaware of many of these things. But, you know, in the Badia, you're, there's so, the moon gives so much light that you actually cast a shadow in the moonlight. Uh, you know, people who are from the village back home, they, they've experienced that. People from the city, they, they, don't, they don't know any of these things. So wait till it's a dark, a dark, dark night. Uh, or wait till a time, a time when the moon is not out at the time of dawn in order to observe if you want to have the most accurate observation. Uh, uh, so that's that. That's that. So that's the beginning of of the subh time. Is what is when the when the the true dawn uh, breaks and the true dawn is distinguishable from the false dawn. How? Because the true dawn will expand around the horizons, whereas the false dawn will not. The false dawn will appear and disappear. Um, and so uh, he says then, uh, like we mentioned from before, that the end of the subh prayer time is when the top of the disk of the sun hits the hits the horizon and then he mentions that between the two of them there's an open time meaning there's no there's no blame on a person who prays the subha prayer earlier and there's no blame on a person who prays it later although there's a mild preference as he mentions there's a mild pressure preference to pray earlier why because in general in the in the deen this is a principle of deen that the sunnah is ta'jilul khair everything that's good you should do it sooner rather than later uh, but it's a mild preference that's in absence of other, other issues. Uh, and so the fuqaha have a difference of opinion about this. So the shafi'is, they take this uh, prescription very, uh, very uh, uh, literally. Uh, hadith of the Prophet وسلم, that what's the best of deeds? Rasulullah said, As-salatu ala waqtiha, the prayer time as soon as it comes in. And in general, nobody, obviously the Rasulullah said it, so nobody, nobody disagrees. Uh, uh, however, the interpretation of what the meaning of that is is what, according to the, the Ahnaf uh, and uh, somewhat the Malikiyah, they say that this is in the absence of other considerations. Um, whereas the, the, the Shafi'is say, no, this is a mutlaq prescription. This is always going to be true. And so the Dalil that the Hanafis bring is another hadith which is found in the Sunan of Imam Tirmidhi in which the Messenger of Allah said, that pray the Fajr prayer when it becomes light outside. 
So the word isfar means two things. It can, al-isfar al-bayyin, or al-isfar al-a'la, it means the actual sunrise. Uh, and so, and, and then it, the word isfar without a qualification, it means the, the later part of the fajr, subh time, before the sun rises, when it's light outside. And so the Hanafi, the Hanafi rationale of praying the, the subh prayer later, in many of the Hanafi countries, they'll pray it 45 minutes after or an hour after the, the, the true dawn comes in, is because uh, you, you, it's matloob to have more, more people in your jama'ah. If it allows more people to join the congregational prayer, then that's a, a consideration that takes priority over the consideration of praying earlier. Because this is also an objective of deen, that as many people, especially the men, should pray uh, uh, the subh prayer in the congregation or pray all of the prayers in the congregation. And uh, the nadir of this is likewise in Isha as well. Uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu hits his fatwa that he used to uh, pray uh, uh, Isha once one third of the night is done. Because by that time, everybody is done with their business of the day. And more people, he would notice more people would come at that time. And so he delayed the, the Salat for, uh, for that reason. And so this is, this is a, a, two ways of looking at the Sharia. Both are based on the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, but they're a matter of preference. I would be lying if I said I, I, I wouldn't uh, uh, prefer that even in the Masjid we pray the, the Subah prayer a little later, especially in the summer. However, uh, I hope you can appreciate that uh, me mentioning the fiqhi issues doesn't mean that I'm here to like cause fitna. I didn't go in guns blazing and trying to rip everything apart and reshape the world in my own image. But uh, these are these are the these are the the issues that we should consider when, as a community, coming together to decide these things. Uh, and so one of the things he mentions, which a lot of people are really uh, uh, taken aback by, is that there's a, a, a statement in the Quran. حَافِظُوا عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاةِ الْوُسْطَىٰ وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ That guard, guard your prayers. Uh, be vigilant about your prayer times. And in particular, be vigilant about the Salat al-Wusta, the middle prayer. وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ And when you stand in front of Allah Ta'ala, stand in humility and submission. قُنُوت means submission, it means ta'a, uh, uh, obedience. It means uh, sukut, silence, and it means uh, stillness. Uh, sukun, it means stillness. So all of these things that when you stand in the prayer, don't move around, don't make noises, and, and stand in obedience and humility in front of Allah. Uh, and so the Salat al-Wusta, if you ask the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, which of the prayers is the Salat al-Wusta, they'll all say different things. The preference of the muhaddithin is, in general, the later muhaddithin is that the Salat al-Wusta is Salat al-Asr. And it's narrated by a number of it's narrated by a number of the companions. There's another another uh, the, I guess the rationality with it is that what it's the end of the day, and it's uh, kind of halfway between the the middle of the day and between Maghrib. And people oftentimes because the word Asr itself it means time, but in a sense of something that's diminishing, something that's like evaporating. And that's what the whole point of well Asr in insana lafi khusr right that by the vanishing time insan is is in loss, uh, and so that's that's because of those factors, majority of the muhaddithin, they, they, uh, their milan was toward what? Their inclination was toward accepting that it's a salat al-asr. And it's probably the opinion most of you are familiar with. Uh, it is narrated by Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that it's zuhr. Why? Because zuhr is in the middle of the day. It's at the, at the time of noon or begins after the time of noon. But the opinion of Malik rahimahullah ta'ala and another group of fuqaha and muhaddithin is that, uh, uh, that it's the salat al-subh. Why? Because it's halfway between the night and halfway between the day. Half of it looks like night and half of it looks like day. Wallahu a'lam, lest a person 
lest a person be hairan or or amazed or astounded by this opinion um I think it makes sense because at least the day of age that we live in right now, uh, my anecdotal observation is that if people are to miss one prayer in its time, it's usually subah. It's usually the subah prayer. I remember I was sitting with my sheikh once, uh, Allah Ta'ala have mercy on him. And uh, as is the custom of the people in the Darul Islam with the ulama that they, they love and they revere, people would come and ask him to make dua when they're distraught. And so we were sitting in the majlis once and some young man came crying and uh, uh, he said, he said, Sheikh, I have my exams in school are too hard. I can't deal with it and make dua that I pass and I don't fail and blah, blah, blah. And so the Sheikh says, uh, uh, do you pray? He says, yeah. He says, do you pray on time? He says, yeah. He goes, how many prayers in the day do you pray on time? He says, at least four. And so the Sheikh, like, he looks at him. He's like, how many prayers does Allah have? And he says, five. He goes, so do you pray for yourself or do you pray for Allah Ta'ala? He says, uh, for Allah, he says, well, Allah has five. So don't say, don't, don't pray for and then expect that you're going to get what you need from, 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 what you should get, be getting from five from four. He says, pray your other prayer on time. And he would do this. Sometimes he would straighten out people. But at the end, he would always, he would always say, now let's make dua. We always make dua for the people. There's a number of comical incidents. Like someone, oh, Sheikh, make dua. My, my fiance broke off the engagement. And then uh, uh, he says, how long you've been engaged for? He says, two years. He goes, two years. The sunnah is the, like the, the baraka is in short engagements. He goes, what do you expect is going to happen for two years? You know, like if it didn't happen in two, it would happen. In, okay, fine. Everyone make dua for the guy. Shaykh, make dua for my son. He's in England and there's all these anti-Muslim hate crimes over there. So Shaykh says, oh, you guys, you spend your brightest children to go and like build up the countries of, of, uh, uh, of those people who hate us. And then you cry and come, did I, did I, did you ask me my opinion? Should he move to England or not? And no, it's okay, everybody make dua for him that Allah protect him. <laughs> we always make dua, but he would, he would tell them what's up, you know. And this last example is, I guess, kind of ironic that we're mentioning here in America. But uh, now that we're here, we may, as well make, we may as well make a go of it, right? We didn't ask uh, before leaving, but now that we're here, we may as well. Amir Saab, mashallah, is here from, from accident. And I also, you know, the angels didn't ask me which, uh, which side I'd like to go to. Uh, but, you know, we're all here. So why, why be upset about it? You know, let's make the best of it, inshallah. So make dua also. All of you make dua as well. So at any rate, the, 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 the prayer I've seen anecdotally that the people blow off the most is the, the subah prayer. For me personally, it was the most difficult one to bring into line. Uh, and so I think that this, this uh, prescription of, of particular, part- paying particular detail and attention to the satul wusta being fajr, I don't think it's far-fetched. And Allah knows best what the what the what the the correct answer is. If it was just like open shut this that or the other thing, then we would say whoever says it's X prayer is right, and everyone else is a cap. But it's not like that. Not, very few issues in the Sharia are like that. Uh, and so uh, um, that's the last level, by the way, of complexity in teaching the books of any science. The the penultimate level is what is that you learn the dalil, and the ultimate level is then you learn the khilaf, the who has other opinions than this. Why do they hold those opinions? What is our response to their uh, opinion? And what is their rebuttal to our response? And what is our response to their rebuttal? Not necessarily because you want to fight with people, but because you can always learn something from someone who disagrees with you as long as that person has knowledge. Someone who agrees with you and is an idiot, you will never benefit or learn from them. And someone who disagrees with you, but they have knowledge, even if you don't agree with their opinion, from listening to their perspective, you always learn 
uh, something and this uh, uh, this uh, ability to hear a different point of view without freaking out or losing it this is a sign of a person's hilm and their 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 ilm their their forbearance and the depth of their knowledge in our in our tradition someone says two gods obviously we're not going to entertain them there are very few issues that are like that in the sharia very few issues indeed uh, um, so that's the the time the waqt of, of the subh and so uh, his opinion is that there's no there's only a very mild preference for praying earlier rather than later uh, there 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 is from amongst the i guess the muhaqqiqun of the madhab um, this idea that because because there's there's a hadith that indicate the 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 superiority of praying earlier and superiority of praying later that amongst them the exact best thing is to pray the prayer start the prayer in the nighttime looking part and end it when it looks like day. Because there's a hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that the people used to, actually several hadith that are narrated by the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, that the people when they would leave the, the masjid, there would be enough light for people to recognize the silhouette of a person at some distance, that a human being is there, but not enough to see who it is. You would see the figure, but you wouldn't see the face. Uh, and so this is, uh, this is uh, there's a, again, these are matters of mild preference, but if you want to do it, you know, as best as you can, um, that's really the best time to do it in the masjid. Uh, if you're praying alone, like the ladies, there's more reward for them to pray at home than in the masjid, even though it's valid, just like a man can pray in his home as well. There's nothing wrong with ladies praying in the masjid. And there's more reward for praying alone rather than praying in the jama'ah, uh, even though there's nothing wrong with them praying in the jama'ah as well. For them, the optimal, uh, the optimal time to pray is in the beginning. The reason there's uh, some optimality in delay, and even the reason the Prophet ﷺ recommended delaying some of the prayers is because uh, it facilitates the people gathering uh, gathering in the masjid, which is also an imperative of the sharia, that ideally no man should pray his five daily prayers alone. Um, but form follows function, you know? And so the people who build the masajid, most of them in North America, their uh, fikr was not necessarily based on these books, but they had other issues that they were dealing with. And that's why they built the masajid where and how uh, they did. Allah Ta'ala reward them. But in the future, you know, uh, uh, these are things to keep in mind. وَقْتُ الظُّهْرِ إِذَا زَالَتِ الشَّمْسُ عَنْ كَبِدِ السَّمَاءِ وَأَخَذَ الظِّلُّ فِي الزِّيَادَةِ وَيُسْتَحَبُ أَنْ يُؤَخَرَ عَفْوًا فِي الصَّيْفِ إلى أن يزيد ظل كل شيء ربعه بعد الظل الذي زالت عليه الشمس وقيل إنما يستحب ذلك في المساجد ليدرك الناس وليدرك الناس الصلاة وأما الرجل في خاصة نفسه فالأول وفأول الوقت أفضل وقيل أما شدة الحر فالأفضل له أن يبرد بها وإن كان وحده لقول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أبرد بالصلاة فإن الشدة الحر من فيه جهنم So the next prayer is the Salat al-Zuhr Zahar يظهر means to become apparent and manifest This is the time when the sun is beating down the hardest on a person right after the right after the, the high noon and uh, um, Living in the Badia, living in the open desert in Mauritania teaches you a lot about the natural world that you don't really get when you sit in an AC or under inside of a building. Uh, it really is it, it really is a hot time of day. And so it's a mercy of the Lord Jalla that he didn't make the Fajr time at high noon. Because if it did, it would have really burned, uh, burned really hard to, to come to the masjid. 
and uh, I guess people like us would probably not just like not even bother but there are people in the ummah that, that if they had to do it they would do it and so I know brothers who have like literally like heat rashes and heat blisters till the mashaykh would tell them go pray just pray your dhuhr in the tent don't come to the masjid um, but that's a good problem to have now it's like I heard somebody in another state had heat rash like 10 years ago so I'm just not going to go uh, one extreme or the other right uh, so uh, so the 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 time it starts right after zalat shams so the word zawal the word zawal oftentimes linguistically we mean it to we use it to mean like downfall but the literal meaning of the word zawal is when something is at its height it's at its peak why because from the top there's nowhere to go but down so even though you're at your top right now uh, 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 there's no good in the future left for you uh, and so the zawal of the shams is, the, is what is what they call high noon. It's when the, the sun reaches its zenith, its highest point in the uh, in the uh, uh, in the sky. And so zuhr doesn't start at that time; rather, it starts when the sun has visibly moved from that time. So, for example, uh, if the sun is at high noon, then the shadow of any object will be at its shortest. Uh, since we're not within the tropics, we'll never have a time when an object will have no shadow at all. If you're within the tropics, um, if you're on the tropic of Capricorn or Cancer, then one day of the year, uh, uh, the, either of the, uh, of the solstices, the sun will be directly overhead. And if you're within them, then two days within the year, the sun will come directly overhead. Uh, and so uh, um, that's, that's, that's the time of Zawal. The Zuhr is after Zawal. So the way you can tell Zuhr has come in is that the shadow reaches its shortest length and then what happens is like up until that the shadow is longer and it's getting shorter 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 it reaches a kind of a stage where it doesn't move for a while then once you can visibly observe that the shadow starts lengthening again that's when the time of that's when the time of Zohar comes in so that takes a couple of minutes that takes a couple of minutes after high noon for, for the Zohar time to come in. The reason this small detail is important to uh, mention is that, again, you can use like astronomical calculations to calculate, compute the exact time of Zawal, but because all of these rulings have to be uh, implementable without uh, needing to actually uh, use like astronomical, sophisticated astronomical calculations or, or machinery or tools, that's why what it is is like once you notice like that you draw a line and you can see that the shadows actually cross that line again, that's when the, that's when the Zuhr time uh, has, has come in. Now there's a discussion amongst the ulama as to when it is best, when it is most virtuous to pray the Zuhr time. The first, the first opinion is, again, like in Subh, is at the beginning of its time. As soon as you see the, the, the shadows start to, to extend again, that's the best time. That's the first opinion. The second opinion is that it is, uh, a, 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 it is a, uh, a virtuous to wait for the uh, shadow of an object to increase by one quarter of its length. So if you have a four foot tall stick, right, it will cast a shadow even at high noon. That zero shadow, ignore it. So from that zero shadow, whatever cast shadow it casts at, at noon, wait for it to go one foot out from there, meaning a quarter of its height. Why? Because, this is a hadith, because of the hadith of the Prophet Wasallam, that the Prophet Wasallam said that cool the prayer down, meaning pray it in a cooler time of day, because the, uh, 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 the severity of the heat, the intensity of the heat, uh, at that time is like a blast of air from the hellfire. Uh, 
And so you'll see that, that actually like the highest temperature in the day oftentimes will be like two or three o'clock. But the heat is not necessarily what harms a person. It's the direct sunlight beating down on them. Because if you're, if it's like, you know, like 78 during high noon and like 85 during like, like 2.30 or 3 o'clock, the 85 is not as harmful as the direct sunlight coming down on you is. And if you stand in the direct sunlight, you will warm up much more than 85 very quickly. Or if you put something, a dark colored object or something in the direct sun. Whereas 85 in the shade, people will survive that. Uh, and so this is a sunnah, and you'll notice this in the subcontinent, actually. Uh, um, they, they still do this, that usually Zohar uh, and Jama'ah and things like that, it's like 2.15, or, 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 or uh, it's significantly later than the time the, 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 the time comes in. And because, the again, the, the, the Athari Madhabs, the Shafi'is, Hanabila, Ahlul Hadith, Salafiya, they, they, they generally prefer, they give the, the commandment to pray the prayer and it's the first time more strength in their madhab. Uh, because of that, they'll usually pray the Zuhr right when it comes in. Uh, but that's not, that's not uh, the opinion of all of the fuqaha and really it's not the opinion of the majority of the Muslim world, um, which is also based on a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he says, delay the, the, the prayer because the intensity of the heat is from the blast of, the blast of heat from the hellfire. So Mauritania is the same thing, Juma and Juma and Salat al-Zuhr were usually at 2.15, uh, 2.30, same thing in Morocco. Uh, Juma they would pray on time, but the regular daily prayers were a little bit, a little bit later. Um, so that's, that's the opinion with regards to that. Um, we can do with it what we like. And the third opinion is what? The so the first opinion is what? Pray at the beginning. The second opinion is pray in the jama'at, in the masajid where the, where the congregations are called. Pray in the cooler time. But if you're praying on your own, pray in the earlier time because you're not going to go out in the direct sunlight, so what's the point? And the third opinion is don't know even the person praying at home alone should pray in the cooler time because of the hadith of the Prophet And the practice, the practice of the, the Malikiyah is the second opinion. And the practice of the Ahnaf is according to the second opinion. But he mentions that these are the three opinions about when it's uh, uh, best to pray the Salat of Zuhr. Whoever takes from any of the three opinions is making amal on one of the sunnahs of the Prophet wasallam is acting according to one of the sunnahs of the Prophet Do they have the Zuhr about like 45 minutes or something? Like 30 minutes maybe, yeah. yeah. It's not that much. Because yeah. the thing is this, right? Like you, you're an engineer, right? So like if you have a uh, um, like a parabolic curve, right? W uh, um, or sorry, not I apologize. If you, it's like a it's like a, a, a cycle, right? Basically, if you're if you're at the the zenith or the top of the cycle, when will you lose the most the most because uh, the, the the amount of energy that the, the light is going to put into the object that it's hitting is going to be uh, most when when it's when it's perpendicular to the surface, right? And so when are you going to have the most loss of energy transfer? It's going to be at the top of the curve, not at the bottom. So half an hour up here is going to make a much bigger difference than half an hour down here. Yeah. So that's, that's the hikmah. That's the hikmah that you just cut the edge off of, the, off of that, 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 that heat. Mashallah, I'm told that sisters oftentimes are asked by non-Muslims, random non-Muslims, aren't you hot in that thing? So you can say, yes, this is why Zohar is <laughs> delayed, delayed by a, a quarter length of the shadow. Uh, and so um, then he mentions then what the end of the Dhuhr time is. وَآخِرُ الْوَقْتِ أَنْ يَصِيرَ ظِلُّ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ مِثْلَهُ بَعْدَ ظِلِّ نِسْفِ النَّهَارِ 
Uh, and so the end of the Vohr time is what? Is when the uh, uh, length of the shadow of an object is equal to the length of that object. Uh, not counting the, the length of the shadow at high noon. Because so when it's high noon, something will have a, a residual shadow because the sun doesn't always come directly overhead. So subtract that amount. But if you have a stick that's a meter long, then uh, subtract that, that amount of the shadow at noon. Once the shadow extends beyond that by a meter, which is the same as the length, then the Dhuhr time is over. Now, there's also difference of opinion amongst the fuqaha with regards to with regards to this, Imam Abu Hanifa from amongst the fuqaha said that no, the, uh, uh, the, the time that the zuhr ends is not when the length of the shadow is equivalent to the length of the object, but double that. So that's why if you have like your prayer time, prayer time app calculator or whatever, it'll ask you the Hanafi time or the, the uh, uh, Shafi'i time. Uh, and it's not really Hanafi Shafi'i, it's Imam Hanifa and like the, all the other madhab, including the two Imams of the Hanafi madhab, Imam Muhammad and Imam Qadi Abu Yusuf. All of the Imams agree that it's the Zuhr the, the time ends when the object is, the length of the object is equal to the length of its shadow. And the Hanafi madhab is built on three opinions. It's built on Abu Hanifa's opinion, he's the Ustad and he has two students whose opinion it's built on. Qadi Abu Yusuf and Qadi, Qadi, Qadi Abu Yusuf and Imam Muhammad. So the two students actually sided with, with Malik on this issue and uh, uh, against their teacher. This is important to understand why, because people make this claim that somehow the madhabs are like the personal, following the personal example of some imam. Why would we part, follow the personal example of imam when we could follow the personal example of the Prophet And that's not the case at all. It's often, every one of the imams have had major students that have disagreed with them. And every one of the imams have certain issues in which the, the, the consensus of the madhab later on will go against the imam. Uh, and the reason is what? They're all reasonable people. These are issues that are reasoned out. They're not issues of just blind, blind following. Uh, and so uh, uh, the, the practice of the Hanafis in general is to pray the, the, to pray the Asr in the later time and pray the Zuhr in the earlier time. But the fatwa is, is what? If you look in the books of fatwa Ibn Abidin, even the fatwa of the Indian subcontinent, Mulana Rashid, Ahmad Gangohi, Fatawa Rashidiya, etc. The fatwa is that the, uh, the Asr time starts at the ta- earlier of the two times. But the jama'at in the masjids, to, for, because, of, uh, uh, because of cautiousness, will have them in the later of the two times. But when the length of an uh, object equals the length of its shadow, that's the last time of the of the Dhuhr prayer. This is what the, the, the fatwa is according to. And the practice is what? To pray Asr in the later time, just to be sure. Uh, but like Turkey, for example, Turkey, Syria, these are countries that have large Hanafi populations and they actually pray Asr in the earlier time as well in those places. And so, uh, you know, this is something I think I, I've seen people in the masajid, especially our Hanafi brothers from back home that stick to the madhab, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. It means it shows that someone's serious about, about their practice of deen and not wishy-washy. But oftentimes they'll, they'll get a little bent out of shape about this issue and there's really no need to. If you actually look in the books of fatwa, it's valid. It's valid. It's just a matter of cautiousness. Uh, uh, that a person, uh, it's the Hanafis consider it superior to pray in the later time, but their prayer is valid. Don't believe me? Go ask Sheikh Musa, he's a Hanafi. He's a Maliki guy, he's running static and trying to mess with us. Go ask him, inshallah. Uh, this is one thing. Also, uh, in, in, in ilm in general, it's better to hear, hear from, straight from the source, right? So if the Muhaddithin, for example, if one person narrates from X, who narrates from Y, who narrates from Z, and you can just go straight to Y instead of going to Z. That's what they used to do. You go straight to the source as close as you can. 
So if you want to hear the, about the Maliki Madhab, then ask me. If you ask me about the Hanafi Madhab, and I know I'll answer the question. If I don't know, I'll say I don't know. But always better go straight to the source. Don't read about other people's Madhabs from other people's books. Because sometimes somebody doesn't take the time to understand the other Madhab as much as they take the time to understand their own. So they may, it's oftentimes they'll accidentally misreport something or not understand the issue in its complete, completeness. And so I, I, I encourage you all, go and ask, inshallah, if you have, you know. So the Hanafi, uh, we've always heard about the twice the mm-hmm. size of the shadow. So does that mean that the Zahar time continues till then? Or not? So, so there is, there is a, according to some of the, some of, some of the Hanafi fuqaha, the time between one, one shadow length and two shadow length is mushtarak. It's, uh, 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 it's, it's both Zuhr and Asr in some sense. And they make that wheel that every hadith in which it says that the Prophet ﷺ joined between Zuhr and Asr, it was always in that time. And the fatwa is that it's haram to make a practice of joining the prayer times as a, as a habit because the Prophet ﷺ never did that. But if when traveling or because of some need at some particular time you need to do it, it's valid. But it's haram to make a habit out of it. Uh, otherwise, what ends up happening is that the, 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 the shi'ar of this ummah is to pray five times a day. The Yahud pray three times a day. So if you join Maghrib and Isha and you join uh, uh, Dhuhr and Asr, uh, then you basically made tashabuh with the Yahud, which is itself a haram act. Even though in, in, in a vacuum, without considering that issue, the prayers may be valid, but it's not, you, you're not, you, we're not allowed to make a habit out of that. The masajid should have separate adhans for five different prayers, and a person in their daily life should pray the, the prayer five, five different times. Shawaliullah, that's what he said, is that the time between one shadow and two shadows is mushtarak between, it's, it's, it's like divided between, between dhuhr and asr, that a person cannot, cannot say with jazam that the dhuhr is not valid, and the person cannot say with jazam that the asr is not valid in this time uh, rather the fatwa one of the one of the uh, hikmas the uh, wisdoms of the fatwa of Abu Hanifa is it separates them completely so a person as a habit should try to pray Zuhr before the first shadow length they hit it and they should try to pray Asr after the second shadow length according to the Hanafis why because that way you keep the prayer times separate and not mixed uh, it, if a person does it one, once or twice because of need it's, it's fine but if a person makes a habit out of that that becomes a sin then but I mentioned this, I mentioned this so that a person doesn't feel haraj, it doesn't feel bad like, oh, you know, we're praying too early or praying this like that. Or, or on the flip side, that a person who's accustomed to praying in the earlier time doesn't feel haraj if they pray late in the masjid. Either way, it's fine. It's valid according to everybody, inshallah. It's valid. It's khair. So, and these are two very strong opinions within the ummah, like in the ummah split almost 50-50 between these two by, by, by population. So that's, that's fine. There's no, no reason to get bent out of shape about it. They're both solid opinions. So uh, the, that's the end of the Dhuhr time. أَوَّلُ وَقْتِ الْعَصْرِ آخِرُ وَقْتِ الظُّهْرِ وَآخِرُهُ أَنْ يَسِيرَ الظِّلُّ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ مِثْلَيْهِ بَعْدَ ذِلِّ نِسْفِ النَّهَارِ وَقِيلَ إِذَا اسْتَقْبَلْتَ إِذَا اسْتَقْبَلْتَ الشَّمْسَ بِوَجْهِكَ وَأَنْتَ قَائِمٌ غَيْرُ مُنَكِّسٍ رَأْسَكَ وَلَا مُطَيْطِئٍ لَهُ فَإِنْ نَظَرْتَ إِلَى الشَّمْسِ بِبَصَرِكَ فَقَدْ دَخَلَ الْوَقْتُ وَإِنْ لَمْ تَرَهَا بِبَصَرِكَ فَلَمْ يَدْخُلُ الْوَقْتُ وَإِنْ نَزَلَتْ عَنْ بَصَرِكَ فَقَدْ تَمَكَّنَ دُخُولِ الْوَقْتِ وَالَّذِي وَصَفَ مَالِكٌ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى فِيهَا مَا لَمْ تَسْفَرُ الشَّمْسُ And so the time of Asr is what? 
the time of Asr is when, according to the Malikis at any rate, comes in, and we mentioned when it comes in for the Hanafis, that for the Malikis when the, the Zuhr ends, meaning when the length of the shadow of an object is equal to the length of the object. And again, we mentioned the Khilaf that Abu Hanifa amongst the Imams uh, uh, considered it to be double the shadow of the object. Uh, that's when the Asr time starts. And so he mentions two opinions about when the, the, the time of Asr ends. One is when the length of the uh, object, uh, sorry, the length of the shadow of an object is double its length. That's one opinion of when it enters, but that opinion is a weak opinion. The correct opinion is the second one that he mentions is isfirar. Isfirar means what? Isfarra yasfaru is for when things turn yellow. So like when the daylight comes down like from noon, it's clear, it doesn't have a color. But when the, when the sunlight goes down closer and closer to the horizon, when the, the, the uh, uh, rays of the, sham, the shams, when the rays of the sun hit the, hit the wall, they're like yellow in color. So this is isfirar. This is a really interesting, anyone here take sarf before? Anyone? Sarf, right? So there's a special, a special wazan in sarf that's only reserved for things becoming colors. So isfarah, darah, marah, ihmirar, ikhdirar, isfirar. So isfirar means for things to turn yellow. So when the light starts to turn yellow, this means what? This means that you cannot delay the prayer anymore. It's haram for you to do anything but pray at that time. Before that time, if you have something to do or if there's a reason we can get together as a community and decide to pray earlier or later, there's nothing wrong with that. But once isfirar happens, when the light of the sun starts to turn yellow, this means we've like hit the wall. You have to just drop what you're doing and pray at that time. Uh, and so that's that's the end of the that's the end of the of the Asr time, uh, and so I assume like you know depending on what time of year it is between summer and winter it's something between like fifteen seventeen minutes to like ten minutes eight minutes. Before sunset. Yeah, for, before sunset. Before sunset. Um, and so there's a little more complexity. We'll add a layer of complexity to the hukum, but this is when you should have prayed by this time. If you pray after it, it's makru. It's not invalid until the sun actually that bottom of the disk of the sun hits the horizon, then you've, you've actually missed it. But until then, it's makru to delay into that, that last 10, 15 minutes. It's, it's, you've, you've done wrong by doing that. Um, and so he gives another, because the issue of link, measuring shadows, right? Um, this is a, uh, it's a weird issue. Who here knows how long the shadow is at high noon today? A one meter object, how long of a shadow will it cast? Nobody knows, right? Nobody bothered to. You guys should actually figure these things out. Someone look at, at, your, uh, at the almanac and see when high noon is. Take an object and measure like a meter or a foot long object. Measure how long the shadow is. You should know these things. It's going to be shorter in the summer in the solstice and it's going to be the longest at the winter solstice. So people used to know about these things. And every masjid like it has a, a, an imam and it has a mu'adhan. In the old days, the masajid used to have timekeepers as well so that they can be aware of these things. And they kept almanacs and they kept very detailed records because once you know the prayer times for one year, the next year and subsequent years, the prayer times will be the same. And so they would tra transmit and, and train people in, in the preservation of this knowledge. So one way you can tell with regards to, so we're going to say, for example, that the, the Asr starts when the length of uh, a shadow of an object is equal to the length of the object plus whatever residual shadow it has at high noon. What's a way of measuring that? You guys can go home and, and do that. If we had the uh, uh, class in the masjid, I'd have you do it right now. Usually I just have people do it right now, but we can't because the, the floor is not super clean. Uh, um, 
I guess if you're really like gung-ho about ilm, you can do it and wash your clothes afterward. Allah would reward you. If I was a student, I'd probably do it. But then again, people tell me I'm not normal. So uh, if you if you want to know how long your, your, your shadow is, what you can do is like you can look at the shadow where it comes to the ground and then take your shoes off and, and just... Just put your step one after the other. A normally formed person is seven, fo- seven feet of their own feet, not like of the imperial foot. Of their own feet, they're seven feet in length. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And so what happens is you'll be a little bit more, a little bit less than that, depending on what your, uh, you know, the way your body is. But a normal a person who is like uh, normally proportioned is around seven feet. So this is a way you can tell without having to actually like lay down and measure these things or like look for a, because sometimes you need a yardstick, but you don't have one and you don't know where to find one. Uh, so this is a way of, of, of approximating these things. Um, he mentions another way of telling whether Asr is in or not that's easier than that. This other way that he mentions is not, it's not an exact way of knowing whether Asr is in, but it's a very rough way of gauging. And that is what? That if you look at the sun, right, wherever, whatever direction the sun is, for example, the sun is there, you stand straight and uh, you, you put your head like straight. And if the sun is above your, like it's above my range of vision, it comes in the range of vision right here. If it comes within the range of vision, as long as you're not looking up or you're not looking down, once the sun is in your range of vision, you know that, that Asr is in now. That's a very simple way of knowing. That's not exactly when it comes in. It comes in a little bit earlier than that usually. That's not exactly what it's in, but when it's come to that point, you know it's in now. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule either. This may not be a, a, something that, that works in the winter. Why? Because we live at such a northerly latitude. He mentions this in the book. We, we live at far more north than Qairawan, right? Qairawan, Tunis is far further south. So the, sun, the, the difference between summer and winter is not all that different. If you're in Norway when it's like night during like half of the year, um, there will be days when the sun never even gets above that point. But for, I would say, at least for, for 10 months out of the year over here, the standard would work. Allahu alam. Or if you live in California or something like that. I used to live in California. It was fun. Uh, uh, and now it's, now it's over. So uh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's the, the time of... The time of Asr. وَوَقْتُ الْمَغْرِبِ And uh, you know what? I think that's a good place to stop. We'll, we'll, we'll continue this uh, next week, inshallah.